Um, let's get into the message. I had a lady, a great lady, come to me last week after the message, and, uh, and she asked a fantastic question. She said, uh, James, I agreed with about 98% of your message. I was like, that's a good lead-in, right? Like I was ready to roll at that point. I agree with about 98% of your message. And she said, but something you said, it kind of bothered me, okay? And she went on to ask about her teenage child. She said, my teenager is very impressionable. And she said, I- I'm worried because he's kind of somewhat of a follower that if he does what you talked about this morning, and if he goes out and if he forms friendships with other teenagers who aren't Christians, that he's not going to influence them, but rather they're going to be influencing him. And she said, so James, how can I let my teenager do what you talked about today? Now, if you're new here, if you're a guest, or you haven't been around the last couple weeks, let me frame her question for you by just catching you up quickly on what we've talked about the past two weeks of this series, all right? Two weeks ago, we learned that right now there are at least 260,000 people within a 15-mile radius of this church who are unchurched, don't belong to a church anywhere, and potentially don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, we've been saying over the past two weeks that we don't want to be a church that knows that this is true, only to sit back and do nothing about it, right? We don't want to be the church that only shows up on Sundays to gatherings like this, and we sing, and we learn, and we serve, and we give, and we hope that somehow, just somehow, these people will find their way to us and walk in the doors of our building. Instead, we've been saying that we want to be a church that relentlessly pursues these people with the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. Like, we want to be a church that goes into our jobs, our neighborhoods, our our schools, our ball fields, the, the gyms we work out at, wherever it may be, carrying with us the good news of Jesus to people in all those arenas of life who don't have a relationship with him. And and last week I introduced to you a three-part method that we've developed to help us become that church. And we've captured this method in three words. Pursue, connect, and gather. And last week, here's what I said. I said, I believe that the way we're going to accomplish that first piece of this method, that pursue piece, is through friendship and through relationship. That if we want to be a church that pursues 260,000 people with the hope and love of Jesus, that it's going to require us to be friends with those people. Now, here's why I believe that. It's for a simple reason. It's because of what I see in Jesus. Jesus, while he was here on the earth, was constantly accused of being a friend to sinners. And the reason he was accused of that is because it was true of him. He was. If you go back and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, you find story after story of Jesus pursuing and becoming friends with some of the most jacked up people in society. He would go to their homes, he'd share meals with them, he'd heal them, he'd feed them. And because Jesus was so gracious to these people, because he took these opportunities to build friendships, it ultimately allowed him to speak truth into the lives of these people that would ultimately change their lives forever. And my belief is this, if we're following Jesus, I believe that we're going to follow his example and that we're going to become friends as his followers with the same people he was friends with while he was here on the earth, that we're going to pursue and build friendships with lost, broken, hurting, hopeless, sinful people so that we can do what Jesus did, help those people find their way back to God. And as we move forward, our heart is to train and equip every person who makes up this church 
Uh, we, we want you to know how to pursue people like Jesus pursued people. So with that framework, let me just kind of go back to the question the lady asked me, all right? James, how can I let my teenager do that when I'm worried that others are going to influence him instead of him influencing others? And do you know what my response was? I said, you need to be at church next Sunday. I said, next Sunday, we're talking about the second part of our method that connect peace And I think what you hear next Sunday is going to answer your question. And I went on to tell her that today we're going to spend our time talking about the importance of us as followers of Jesus connecting with one another and having deep, meaningful relationships with other followers of Jesus from this church. What I want us to understand before we leave today is very simple. I want us to understand that it is impossible for us to accomplish this mission of relentlessly pursuing 260,000 people with the hope and good news of Jesus on our own. If you're taking notes, write down this statement. We cannot live on mission in isolation. We cannot live in mission are on mission in isolation. And and I'll give you a couple reasons why, okay? First off, isolation, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. I came across this great quote this past week from a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he said, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. See, church, listen to me. When you and I become isolated from other followers of Jesus, we become a very easy target for our enemy. If the only people we have friendships with are people who who don't believe in Jesus, don't follow Jesus, and we don't have deep roots in relationships with other believers in Christ, then listen, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Our enemy can take us out very easily. And if our enemy takes us out, because of sin issues or character issues, listen, it becomes impossible at that point for us to help other people find their way back to God again. Now, if you're here and you're going, well, James, I've been living in isolation. I got a lot of sin issues, but I would say I know Jesus. Um, what are you saying about me? I would just say, listen, there's hope for you. Like, I'm not saying you're out. Like, you can't be a part of this mission. I think God can free you up. Um, but listen to me, you have to be willing to not only surrender your life to God and yourself to God, but you have to be willing to get into some relationships with other believers uh, that, that you can walk through life with, share life with, and who can help hold you accountable when it comes to whatever it is you're dealing with. We cannot live on mission in isolation. Now, the second reason you and I can't accomplish this mission in isolation is this. Isolation, it contradicts God's design. Contradicts his design. God's design for his church and for his people has always been community. Um, In the beginning, we read that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they lived in perfect community with one another. And God sent Jesus into the world to die in our place for our sins so that we could be restored back into that perfect community that God shares with his Son and his Holy Spirit. God invites us into that. But not only that, God created every single person in this room with a deep desire and a need for relationship. Like nobody in this room can raise their hand this morning and go, no, I'm fine on my own. Uh, I can walk through life by myself. 
No, you can't. God designed you and created you to live in relationship with other people. All right, I'm going to go Bible on you. I'm going to prove it. All right, you ready? If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, do you know that you can't live out the simplest commands of Scripture unless you are in relationship with other believers in Christ? I'll prove it, okay? I'm just going to read a list. We'll throw it up here and you can follow along. Listen to these. Love one another. Be in agreement with one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Serve one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Admonish one another with all wisdom. Encourage one another and build each other up. Be hospitable to one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Church, listen to me. Discipleship, or in other words, being a follower of Jesus, growing in Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. Discipleship demands relationship. We cannot follow Jesus unless we are following him together. This has always been God's design. And God's design for us as his church is to not go after this mission in isolation, but to go after the mission of helping people find their way back to God together. That's his design. Now, this morning, um, I'm going to read a few different passages to you. Uh, Most mornings, if you're new here, we pick a passage and we teach it. Um, This morning, I'm going to kind of hop around a little bit. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can. Or if you want to just follow on the screens, you can. But I want to make my case about why community is so critical to the mission of our church, okay? Um, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And I want you to hear what he says. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, Jesus is saying, if you're my follower, you, you have to love other followers deeply, like I've loved you. This means, church, that we can't just love one another with a a surface-level, superficial type of love. It means that we can't only show up on Sundays and shake hands and say hi, and that's the extent of our relationship with one another. If we're going to love one another like Jesus has loved us, it means we share life. We love one another deeply. It means that we walk side by side through, through life together. And Jesus says when we do that, when we love one another like he's loved us, that the world around us will know that we are his disciples and his followers. You see, I think it's easy for us to believe that if we'll just go outside the walls of this building and we'll love people out there who don't know Jesus well, that they'll know, oh, well, those people belong to Jesus. But Jesus is going, no, 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 no. It takes more than that. It takes more than that. If you want people out there to believe that you're my follower, you have to love other followers and you have to do it well. Like, listen to me, why in the world... Would anybody out there want to come into a dysfunctional family, right? Like, if we're not loving each other well, we have no business inviting anybody else into our family. They're not going to want to be a part of that. And so it's got to start here. It's got to start with us loving one another if we're going to accomplish this mission. Um, 1 John chapter 4, 10 through 12. Listen again to what John says. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is beautiful. We didn't love God first. He loved us first. You know that, right, church? And God demonstrated his love for us by doing what? 
by sending his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to die in our place for our sins, to save us from sin, death, and hell. That's how we know God loves us. And John goes on and he says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then pay attention to this last part. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John is saying, he's reminding us, listen, nobody's laid eyes on God before. Like to do so would be, would be crazy. God says that if someone sees him, then they die. No one's ever seen God. But he says when you and I as followers of Jesus love each other, that God's love, it's perfected in us. In other words, listen, when we love each other well, people get a picture of who God is through our relationship and through our love for one another. So not only do we prove we're true followers of Jesus when we love one another well, but the world around us can look at our relationships and say, you know what, I kind of see God through that. It reveals to them what he's like. Um, Let me read you one more passage, John 17, 20 through 21. This is Jesus praying for his followers before he goes to the cross. And he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 2,000 years ago, before Jesus died on the cross, he was praying for you and me. And his prayer was simple. God, just let them be one. Let them be unified. Let them love one another like you and I are one and unified and we love one another. And it's interesting what Jesus says in that last verse. He says, and let them do that so that ultimately people will believe that you sent me. You see, church, when you and I love one another well, yes, we prove that we're disciples. Yes, the world around us gets a picture of who God is. But listen to me, the good news about Jesus, and this is huge, the good news about Jesus becomes more believable to people who don't yet believe in him. You see, it's hard to argue with a bunch of people who are deeply committed to one another about the God that they say brought them together when relationships are deep and committed and they're truly sharing life. Church, we cannot live on mission in isolation. If we're going to accomplish this mission of carrying hope and love and the good news of Jesus to countless numbers of people outside the walls of this building, we have to go at it together. Now, listen, because this is true, Because this is biblically true, our goal moving forward is to connect every person who makes up this church into a group here at this church. Uh, If you're new, you probably noticed by now that uh, we're not a Sunday school church um, for a couple reasons. We don't think there's anything wrong with Sunday school. We just don't have the space for it, one. We're not set up to do it. And uh, a long time ago, this church, before my time, made the decision to, uh, to practice a groups model instead now, I've spent a lot of time over the last few months talking about the future of groups with, uh, with Nick Mendenhall. He's our pastor on staff who oversees groups. And uh, he and I, back at the beginning of the year, came up with a simple statement that captures what we want our groups in this church to be all about. And here's what we wrote. I'll show this to you. We said, we want our groups here to help adults. We'll get it up there in a minute. We'll, we want groups here to help adults connect relationally to grow spiritually, and to live out the mission of Jesus together. I'm going to say it one more time. We want our groups here to help adults connect relationally, grow spiritually, and live out the mission of Jesus 
together. Now, if you're wondering, James, uh, how did you guys come up with that statement? What's it based on? I want to show that to you, okay? So if you have a Bible or if you have a phone with an app on it, grab it and go to Acts chapter 2 with me. Acts chapter 2, and uh, there's a passage there, verses 42 through 47, that is such an inspiring passage to me. And I've said this from this stage before. It is my dream that our church would look like the church we find in this passage we're getting ready to read. I just want you to check this out with me. Starting in verse 42, Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now listen, in Acts 2, here's what we find in this passage. We find a group of people who were first and foremost connected relationally. Think about what we just read. These people were together. They had all things in common. When someone had a need, you know what they did? They just sold stuff and they gave the money to address the need. I mean, that's insane, isn't it? That's deep commitment, deep love. I'll say this. I know this is kind of um, going backwards from where we're going this morning, but I feel like I need to say it. You know, it's been amazing to me so far in three days when it comes to that $100,000 challenge. And I've already had people coming to me and going, I sold this, here's the money. Um, we're selling this, we're going to give the church the money. We're canceling this trip and we're going to give the church the money. See, that's my dream for our church. That we'd love one another deeply and be committed to one another like Jesus has been committed to us. This was a church connected relationally. They were sharing meals with one another in one another's homes on a regular basis. Being together brought them joy and happiness. They shared life and they actually loved one another like Jesus had loved them. But not only that, um, this was a group of people, a church committed to spiritual growth. And we find proof of that in verse 42. This verse tells us that these people were devoted to some things that are key to spiritual growth. One, um, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. You know what that means? Is these people love the teachings in this book. Like they couldn't wait to get together and to hear about it and to talk about it and to learn from it so that they could go live it out. They were devoted to its teachings. They were devoted to fellowship. That simply means that they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to walking alongside one another, encouraging one another, holding each other up, picking one another up when they were dealing with sin or temptation or struggles. They would walk through one another through crisis and need. They were actually living out that list of one another commands that we read earlier. They wanted to push each other to become more and more like Jesus and to live out what he commanded them to do. Um, we find out they were devoted to the breaking of bread. This is a reference to communion or to the Lord's Supper. See, when these people came together, they devoted themselves to remembering the body of Jesus was broken for us. The blood of Jesus was shared for us to cover our sins so that we could know God and know new life and know eternal life with him. 
So they didn't just think about it. They centered their lives on that good news, and it became their motivation for living lives of obedience to God each and every day. They couldn't stop thinking about it. And lastly, these people were devoted to getting on their faces before God in prayer and praying for God to do things in them and through them that they could never pull off on their own, and they practiced that together. Connected relationally, growing spiritually, and lastly, they were committed to the mission of Jesus. We know that from verse 47, right? The Bible tells us that every single day, think about this with me, church, every single day that this group of people in the book of Acts, they were seeing people come to faith in Jesus. See, that doesn't happen unless they're committed to spreading the good news of Jesus to people who don't know him. And again, this is my dream for our church. Like, my dream is that we'd be a church made up of groups of people who are all about connecting relationally, growing spiritually, living out the mission of Jesus, that we devote ourselves to this book and its teachings. We wouldn't just show up on Sunday and go, ah, that was a good message, I'm not going to do that. But then we walk out the door and we go, man, I have to live like that. I love that book, and I think, man, if I live like that, I'm going to know joy because that's the person God made me to be. I want us to be devoted to one another, sharing life, loving each other, devoted to, to the gospel and its news and living our lives because it's true. I want us to be a church committed, committed to prayer, praying and begging God to do things that are too big for us but are so easy for him. And I want us to be a church that's committed to the mission of Jesus together. I dream of the day, I dream of the day, seriously, where I can stand on this stage on a Sunday and go, um, we've had a bunch of people from our church living on mission all week. And so I know there are people in this room who met Jesus this week because of this church. So where are my Monday people? Um, who, who met Jesus on Tuesday? Who, who met Jesus on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? And and Saturday, and I dream of the day where we have groups, small groups, coming up on this stage, baptizing people that they have personally seen come to know Christ because they've been out living on mission together. That's my dream for this church. And so here's what I'm asking us to do today, all right? Simple. I'm asking, if this is your church, to commit to the future mission of this church by committing today to join a group. And I'm not asking you to just join a group for the sake of joining a group, right? Um, I, I want you to join a group because it's biblical, and I truly believe that we need one another as we follow Jesus and seek to accomplish his mission. And, and I just want to kind of disarm some of us, if I can, okay? Because I know probably what some of us are already thinking. Some of us are sitting back, and we're thinking to ourselves, well, James, um, I love Sundays, but I don't really know a lot of people, so that kind of awkward feels uncomfortable to me. And I would say to you, I know, I know, it's always weird and awkward and uncomfortable meeting new people. But I would say, don't let the fear of awkwardness keep you from engaging in meaningful relationships with other people from this church. I know that some of us in the room are going, James, I'm busy. How in the world am I supposed to do this? And again, I'm saying, I, I know, I know, life is crazy. Life is busy. We have jobs and kids and ball field. We have all kinds of stuff going on. We're busy. Listen, maybe you can only like hop in a group and meet like once or twice a month. Maybe that's all your schedule allows. I want to say we're okay with that. We'd love for you to jump in once or twice a month. We just want to know that you're connected to somebody from this church. Um, if you're here and you're thinking, well, James, I've tried the groups thing before and it's messy and it was tough. I'll say again, I know. 
when you put a bunch of sinful people into a group and you ask them to share life together, there are going to be issues, okay? I'm just trying to be straight up with you, okay? But here's all I want to say. Don't get discouraged by that. Just see those opportunities of conflict as opportunities to grow. And, and lastly, I know probably there's somebody, and uh, if you're this person, then I, I know what you're thinking. Um, maybe you're sitting here going, well, James, what if there's somebody weird in the group I join? <laughs> and again, I just want to tell you, there probably will be, Okay? Like, I don't want to be the shady sales guy that, like, sells a great deal to you and leaves out the fine print. I'm telling you, there may be somebody weird in your group, but listen, you can see that as an opportunity for God to develop in you greater love, greater patience, and greater grace. It's an opportunity. Let's not let any excuse keep us from committing ourselves to one another so that you and I can accomplish the mission God has laid out before us. If, uh, if you're still skeptical, James, I still don't know if I'm convinced. I want you to hear from a real person. And, and I want you to listen to a story in which uh, a guy from our church, he's going to be a new group leader alongside his wife. He shares the impact groups has made on his life and why they're so important. So I want you to turn your attention toward the screens and check out this story from my friend Carrie. I came to know the Lord um, in high school, and uh, at the time that I was kind of going through my journey and God was revealing himself to me, I was a professed atheist, um, very, very much against all things Christian. I'd grown up in a home that kind of led me to believe that all Christians were hypocritical and um, in, in a Catholic home that didn't necessarily abide by what, what my, you know, my parents and people that I had seen at church were uh, were preaching, so as a result, I kind of turned away from God and turned to science and, and thought that, you know, I was on track and doing doing things exactly right, and at the time, I was taking a train to school every day, about a 30-minute train ride, and there were some uh, some other school people from different schools at the, uh, on that on that particular train, and it all began with a, an attractive girl <laughs> that, uh, that invited me to a to a youth group and you know I went to the youth group and I said hey there's lots of attractive girls here I think I'll continue to come and uh, from there I started going to a small group with uh, with that with that girl and a bunch of other um, you know people my same age and just just hearing what they had to say and oftentimes debating with them that that they were wrong and, and here's why and just uh, not feeling like I had really any any good answers uh, from any one person individually, but I did really enjoy the the social aspect of it, and that was when I really started reading a number of different books and doing research and, and things like that. And over the course of I'd say about six to eight months, um, God had kind of softened my heart, and uh, eventually I ended up accepting Christ and uh, continued to go to the small group. I, I just really enjoyed the the fellowship. Um, with, with other believers. Once I did become a Christian, I realized that it was a great value to have fellowship with, with other believers. And you get to kind of bounce ideas off people. And there's, there's a lot of wisdom that, that can come from a room, even if it is a bunch of, you know, young teenagers or, or now talking with, you know, married couples with kids and getting into, getting into the different small groups as your life, uh, life changes. And it doesn't matter which small group we get involved with as long as it's, you know, a group of believers that we can kind of get together with and I think it's big to, to keep each other accountable in, in our lives and, and make sure that we aren't becoming these, these Christians that show up on Sunday morning and that's the extent of our faith. 
So to anybody that would, that would say that small groups aren't necessarily an important thing or that being involved in a church body as a whole is not a, not a necessary thing with the Christian faith, I'm, I'm going to tell you that that's a lie and you really do need to step out there and get involved. And words can't necessarily describe the feelings and, the, and the, the benefit that you'll get from being involved in a small group and being involved with a, a body of believers that can get out into the community and make a difference in the community, make a difference at your workplace. And uh, it, it's just, it's a great thing to be involved with. You'll grow. The people that you're with will grow. And the bottom line is you just need to get out and get involved with a small group. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks, Carrie, for sharing your story, man. Um, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give everybody instructions as to how this is going to work, okay? But if you are a group leader in the room, um, I want to go ahead and just dismiss you. You can go ahead and head over to the tent across the street and be ready for people as they come to you in just a few moments. But for the rest of us, um, let me kind of, again, tell you how this is going to work, okay? And, and uh, I'm going to talk to a couple of groups of people real quickly. If, uh, if you're somebody who's been around for the last little while and maybe even the last few weeks, and uh, we've talked about maybe starting a group or leading a group, and you felt maybe like you're supposed to, but you haven't told us that yet, we'd still love to talk to you today, okay? Um, over at the tent that you see across the street, directly across from our building, uh, our pastor Nick, he will be out there and he'd love to talk to you and get your info so he can follow up. Also, I know that there are already groups of people in this church who are friends with one another. So you kind of like have a group, but you don't really call yourself a group. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Um, instead of like walking across the road and like ditching all your friends and forming new friends, why don't you just consider being a group with the people you're already friends with? Um, I would encourage you walk across the street and say to Nick, hey, we have like three or four couples or there's three or five of us and, and what we'd love to do is call ourselves a group and what we'd love to do for you is to get you trained, to give you resources and to send other people your way to get connected with you guys. So if that's kind of going on, if that's your situation, again, go talk to Nick across the street and we'd love to follow up. Um, if everybody can grab that handout back out real quick, this Group Connect handout. We're going to try to make this as easy as possible on you, okay? We've broken this down by location, by men, by women, by age groups, by married, by single, all that stuff. So on here, um, hopefully you'll have enough information to try and figure out what group you want to be a part of. Across the street, all of our group leaders, they're going to be waiting on you underneath this tent and they have balloons with their name and their info on them so that when you walk over there, um, you can just match what's on the sheet to the balloon and you can go talk to them and, uh, and you can ask them questions and you can figure out what it looks like to commit to being a part of their group, okay? Um, I do wanna highlight what's on the back really quickly, basic groups. Uh, we're starting this, it's brand new. These are kinda uh, start and stop groups, if you will. These groups are gonna last kinda six to eight weeks and, uh, and they're all topical, all right? We have one for men, one for women, and then we have a group that's gonna talk about how to study the Bible, and then we also have a group that's gonna talk solely about finances. I was broke, now I'm not, and Glenn Jordan, our resident Chick-fil-A guy, we love him, he's gonna be leading that group, and so if you need help with money, like how do I form a budget, how do I get out of debt, how can I honor God with my finances, then we'd love for you to join that one, okay? Uh, again, if you're kinda sitting here, I don't know about the groups thing, one of these might be a great place for you to start. 
And you can try out what a group is like for like the next six to eight weeks, okay? So um, take advantage of these. I do want to ask you if you have kids to go check your kids out of KidQuest upstairs before you walk across the street because we need to get ready for the next crowd of kids coming in for our next service, all right? Um, If you are on the response team, I'd love for you to go ahead and come on up now and get in your places. Uh, If you need to pray with somebody, talk to someone before you leave, then uh, we'll have a group of people available for you to talk with, pray with. If you need to ask them about what a relationship with Jesus is about, please, please do that, okay? That's why they're here every week. Uh, Two other things next Sunday. It's a huge day for us. Big, big, big day. We finally, finally reveal the name of our church, and we close out our We Will Not Wait series, and we've got some great things planned. So be here next Sunday and invite some people to come with you. And don't forget on your way out as well to grab one of the handouts concerning the $100,000 challenge. And if you want to give before you leave today, you can do that at the Connection Desk. Okay? Church, we love you. Go get connected to a group. See you next Sunday.